I said good evening. Uh, this is the start of session five. I wanted to take a quick rewind to the last session. There were two little things you threw at me. You threw two ads and you said, hey man, how do you think these ads are? The first one uh, is the Heineken ad that you actually pointed out. I think uh, firstly, very, very well done by in terms of just picking up a, a base insight. Beer has moved beyond the male chugging loads of beer. It has gone down to the women folk and they've been doing this for quite a while now. Heineken has picked up on it. They've also picked up on another insight, which while women and women's lib is making them equal, I mean, they are already equal, they have been. The other thing is men are actually now getting into actually savoring cocktails and it isn't, it isn't that uh, untouchable the way it used to be. So everybody in the male folk are actually experimenting with cocktails and lots of them love it. I think both those two insights being brought up front and with the fact that if you've identified, and this is something I don't know, but I think they might have, they have identified a huge growing base of women and their affiliation now has been stated. They have actually connected with that audience with a lovely ad. I think it's well, well executed, really fun to watch. And it puts in various circumstances and various parts where everybody falls for the stereotype and makes the mistake and it's corrected from bartenders to waiters to various people that actually are in the business that constantly make the mistake in terms of serving the beer to the man and the cocktail to the women that is flipped. I think well done, enjoyable. Nike ad, it is a simple textual ad. Uh, again, textual ads with the right words and right copy make a hell of a difference. I quite like the copy. I think it was apt. I think the the whole uh, the whole Black Lives Matter movement that has erupted in the states and actually in mass massive parts of the world, more so in the Western world, it has and it cries out for support in terms of the the movement itself. And I think Nike has stood in the past again for pretty much the same the same ideal and has talked about Black Lives Matter in the past as well. And that too in the sports arena, if I if I remember right, with the kneeling down, half kneeling down uh, of the basketball players. Oh no, sorry, they were the American football players, which Trump also took offense to at some point in time. So Nike has stood for certain liberal values and has never shied away from stating it. In terms of ideal, in terms of connection with the popular culture, again, pretty much the movement and the thought process is with the youth and Nike is a youth brand and connects more with the youth. I think they have stood by what they believe in. They have stated it with speed. They have also taken the line and actually distorted their own line, which I think was pretty cool. So pretty much a slightly different view in terms of uh, your viewpoint in terms of Nike, which again is valid for looking at it from the way that you're looking at it. But I thought I'd present the other side of the Nike ad. I, it also kind of brings me to a lot of advertising that has taken the trouble. Some of it is uncool, but has taken the trouble to be able to mask up their logos. I don't know whether you've noticed it. Vodafone to various others. Starbucks, uh, stuff like that for the COVID kind of situation. Some of it is cool. Some of it is not so cool. Uh, I've seen uh, certain ads actually spreading out, spreading part. So it's again social... Uh, distancing being replicated in logos and I think um, McDonald's has done that. Some of it, you know, like I said, is cool and has caught on and there are lots of consumers that are, have been talking about it and think it is, you know, appropriate. Again, different mindsets.
So, uh, yeah, that's a little bit on the two ads that you talked about. Now, I want to take cue, a cue from that and toss two particular campaigns that caught my fancy. And I think that you know, it'll be cool if you can have a look at them. I'll try and send it to you on, on mail and stuff so you can take a look at it. One of which I think is really cool. I don't know whether you're, you're used, you're, you have been watching Black Mirror as a series. If you have not, Black Mirror is a predictive series on technology. It is predictive how technology and the world will change, usually for the actually for the worse going forward. And it has horror kind of, uh, it's very, very dark predictions in terms of the way technology would be interpreted and used in the future. Now, that is the background of Black Mirror and it has had five seasons before this. And people are used to it and actually you and loads of people who are actually ardent followers of the of the series. They were supposed to come up with uh, season six and it was supposed to be released. And I think it's been held back because of the COVID situation it has not been completed on time. But Black Mirror hasn't uh, shied away from actually creating a little bit of hype around season six. An outdoor campaign has been launched, which is actually a mirror. And it talks about on the mirror, it's written season six in small print, season six Black Mirror. And actually the mirror is a mirror of you while you're watching it in an outdoor kind of situation. It is at your body height in terms of the delivery. So you're actually seeing yourself in that particular holding because it's a reflection of you. And in all likelihood, which is about 90% of the possibility would be people in masks. And really what, what that throws out, the, the season six is actually live right now across the globe. So I think that was extremely cool. When I saw that, I was like, wow, man, that was timely. It was well executed and uh, completely in order of in, in order today. So therefore, you're using everybody and they're all part of the campaign and you're proving your point using a mirror and it's completely black what you see while you see yourself in it. And it's a live situation. So I think take a look at it. I, for me, it kind of blows my mind in terms of the creativity used and the ability to get on ground so quick with an outdoor campaign. That's one. Take a look when you can. The second one that I want to just pass your way is a KFC campaign that has run now and has broken in the UK now. The campaign actually reminds people of, I mean, basically everybody is locked in. Everybody is buying only essentials. They are actually cook cooking at home. Uh, none of the fast food centers have been open for about two months. There is a, there is, you miss it. You miss the fast food. I know it's, a, it's not such a cool thing to miss fast food. I think a lot of people have understood and have come out of the, at least a, the, there has been a reduction in terms of the fast food created, but the fact they've missed it. And uh, a lot of people actually cook fried chicken and XYZ at home and have been making do with their home preparations. So uh, this ad is actually about all those people that created home fried chicken and congratulates them for it you know so kfc congratulates you for you know cooking fried chicken like their style at home and this as soon as they are opening which was that week they launched this ad saying we will take it from here we are glad you did it but we'll take it from here i think again superbly done very very relevant and pointed in terms of uh, when we are living and what's going on currently a massive connect with the audiences because everybody actually misses it in some way which i thought was pretty cool
the the broad conversation for today and I, um, this could be i mean as usual you know we we tend to spin into various zones and ideas and things like that free really i don't mean to stem that in any way but anyway i was just thinking since we are talking ads i would like to just kind of ponder on a couple of things there are certain things that we've particularly grown up i've been in mainline communications for about 14 years when since i started uh, i've grown up pretty much in the times where you had to do individual artworks and you had to cut face dealer panels in india uh, computerization was hitting the zone obviously in the west it had started but in india it was a little slower so there was a lot of stuff that was done manually uh, there were bromides there were four color positives and i know a lot of people the older folk in advertising has gone through the pains of all of that and uh, the kind of slow uh, way in which it was done we also went through uh, a lot of communication that was judged by on parameters that were extremely cool for the time but i'm really questioning it now in terms of judgment what do we think actually is communication that should win in the cans i know they're making a lot of progress in terms of the kind of categories they have but how should we judge communications today that's number 1 number 2 is when we're looking at media which media actually works what is our perspective in terms of the media production so where we're talking is is something in terms does do films firstly the way that they're constructed right now are they something that works what is your perspective uh, does it work for certain segments is it relevant for certain things or now is it not ubiquitous how do you feel about one size fit all talking to the lowest common denominator that again is a is a is something that i would really like to get into because communication is not lowest common denominator the way it used to be if you were running a television ad uh, you take an insight that is for one person which is the base level person who is the majority part of your consuming base and then you build from it now as of right now you might have multiplicity in terms of the type of communication and the type of ads and the type of whether they are films or they are statics so what again according to you works last in a digital world and a rapidly digitizing world i think the united states is probably at about 60% of communication spends now happens on the digital media if not more i would think between 60 to 70% and in certain categories it would be 100% uh in india it started out a little about 5 so to 7 years ago it was about 5% went on digital it is now currently at about 35% which is serious growth we are growing at about 35% year on year in terms of expenditures on digital to me what are the key fundamentals on uh, on digital communications that are different from the erstwhile communication then these are three basic broad points we could talk of one two or three of them or just free will in the space of communications and how it's changed and how we've changed with it are we having a better time or are we having a worse time is it easier is it better is the skill sets um, needed more or is it less so therefore points to ponder man z would like your thought process on the two ads and then on the broader conversation on digital what's your viewpoint pal and yeah by the way one minute what are you planning to drink because i have whipped out again a little bit of dark rum i think i'm going down the dark rum thing and you know i'm a rum and coca cola man so therefore man i'm going to drink some rum Cheers buddy
Hey Al, so cheers man. Today I'm drinking sochu. Have you heard of sochu? If you haven't, then I'm not surprised because it's Japanese. It's a Japanese word and it uh, is mainly drunk in Japan. It's very popular in Japan. It's kind of like sake that, you know, anybody who's been to a Japanese establishment outside of Japan knows and has probably ordered during a meal. It can be rice-based distilled liquor, but the process is a bit different to the sake that, you know, most people outside of Japan know about. And it's so it's rice-based, but it can also be uh, made with sweet potatoes, with barley, with brown sugar, and possibly a couple of other ingredients but um, the one that i'm drinking today is actually rice based and it's drunk uh, kind of similar it can be drunk in a similar way to sake which is uh, either neat and just pour it into a glass and sip on it i wouldn't recommend shooting the stuff and i'll tell you why in a second the other way is with ice cubes and either water or soda which is the way i drink it and also the way i've been drinking my sake of late it's very nice very nice on a warm day in the summer season it's probably the best way to do it and uh, you know you can then also garnish it with some lemon or lime and so today in fact i'm trying a new way to do it which is so i have my sochu which is like a double peg and then a couple of ice cubes about twice the amount of soda as there is sochu in the glass so kind of you know pile up the soda a bit and then what i've done is i've there's plum juice which in japan is very popular it's actually made in most households if there's a grandmother around or you know in the extended family a lot of grandmothers they make this plum juice it's made from uh, japanese plums so it's non-alcoholic it's just juice it's kind of a sweet juice really nice also good to mix with soda and just drink on a hot day cool you down but um, yeah so a little of this plum juice to give it a bit more sweet flavor because sochu itself is not so sweet unlike sake which has a lot more fruity sort of tones to it uh, sochu is it's um, it's kind of the taste of the earth almost you know it's like a very dusty earthy sort of taste so it's uh, a striking sort of uh, taste of course the rice sochu and the sweet potato sochu each have their own flavors and tastes I kind of like the rice one but I'm uh, I'm not uh, impartial towards the others as well they're all good they just have different flavors So here's the interesting thing with sochu so it's Japanese widely drunk in Japan um at Japanese bars in fact you'll even find sochu bars which are just exclusively bars that just serve only sochu it would be like having a vodka bar cool concept somebody should do that in mumbai
but um, yeah sochu is not really exported outside of japan but you know wherever there's a japanese community you'll probably find it in other cities in the world and um, it's really damn good man what can i say i was reading up on the history which is interesting so actually the the place in japan that i am is the birthplace of sochu in japan so it was actually brewed here distilled here in history for the first time and it is also famous for its sochu so i just happen to be in the place in japan that is you know if you go to tokyo or any other part of japan people know the place that i'm in because of the sochu so when i say the name of the place i'm in any japanese person will associate it with sochu so that's interesting that i'm here i happen to be here drinking this uh, very nice alcohol it actually originated in persia but uh, i guess in ancient times and the name of it back there was arak so arak is actually an arabic word so this drink actually comes uh, you know is was a country liquor in central asia and specifically i guess in iran and this goes back obviously uh, many centuries and then it came it made its way into india interesting huh so arak obviously came from somewhere indigenous communities in india got it from somewhere and it like a lot of things it uh, you know it came through through the trade routes and what have you in the long gone past of history and then somehow it ended up in the pacific islands i guess also through trade routes you know probably traders on their ships taking things and including bottles of arak from india probably on to okinawa which is a southern island in japan kind of close to where i am relatively and then from okinawa it made it over to where i am the island on which i am which is famous for it so i would say try sochu you being in the united kingdom you can probably get your hands on a bottle next time you go to your your neighborhood liquor store which i hope is not tesco but even if it is have a look at the speciality section where there's some japanese liquor and maybe you'll come across a bottle of sochu and if you do nothing like it man really good so the good thing about it is that it's it's a bit stronger than wine or sake which is 15% sochu actually most bottles that you get have a 25% volume so which is nice so you get a nice little buzz from it one drink and you you definitely take off and it's a clear buzz it's a clear alcohol very nice buzz probably similar to gin you know it's a slow clear buzz gets you rising feeling really good the spirits take you skyward but it's stronger than sake and wine so you know but it's not as strong as whiskey or very nice very nice indeed
yeah i totally get what you're saying about nike and uh, the just don't do it ad you know and uh, don't get me wrong i appreciate the sentiment obviously of the message um nike is bold and uh, you know kudos to them for standing up consistently for racial justice in the US and of course a large part of their consumer base is in the US and it's a sports brand so it's people from all races and ethnicities and they've stood up for this consistently and as you said the kneeling down controversy from a couple of years ago in the NFL they were the ones who championed you know the NFL players who did that too much controversy you know including the guy what's his name under immense pressure you know to kind of not sponsor him anymore they stuck by their guns and they've consistently done that i think uh, uh, through the years i think for me the only thing is you know it's not about nike but it is about brands and it is about in the age of the internet brands need to be especially careful for two reasons one is we are a lot more disillusioned as consumers and of course especially marketers like you and me you know who know how messaging is engineered and how brands try to be something they might not be very often but um that's all fair in the world of branding of course but the other point is that in the age of the internet information is now freely available and transparency is the norm pretty much about pretty much anything under the sun you can do your own research you can develop context so in an age where there is more disillusionment i should say around business as we see so much volatility around us we see so much disruption happening in the environment in societies and the cause of it being i wouldn't say brands but definitely capitalism and unrestrained growth which is obviously fueled by business so for those of us who are more concerned like myself you know when i do see a brand put out a message i will scrutinize how that brand is operating in its business practice and nike going back to the 1970s when i guess it was founded the 1980s as well if you google you can read about uh, a lot of criticisms about nike as uh, a business that used to use sweatshops in asia taiwan and in indonesia and other countries to produce issues so their labor practices have been under scrutiny and then also you know more lately and this is interesting you wouldn't think it but uh, they've actually been under scrutiny for their gender equality practices in their workforce including in their offices in terms of how they pay how they hire and then of course it being a it's a huge manufacturing business so they have um, factories and they have suppliers they've been under a lot of scrutiny for that they're not the best you know i think the way we look at brands is not just about you know the commercial or the piece of brand content that they put out it is in the larger context of the history of the brand and their business and the practices of course it depends on how educated and concerned one is about these things not everybody is 99.9% of their consumer base really isn't fact checking them and um, you know they can get away with it but 
for those of us who do this sort of thing maybe they need to clean up their own act before they start to act all sanctimonious about various other social issues when they have and so it isn't about nike as i said it really is a thorn in my side about a lot of businesses most businesses i would say of course there are exceptions there are good businesses there are what are now known as purpose led businesses even built as such from scratch where they have giving back to society and to nature and to communities built into business practice but then there are certain legacy businesses and nike is an institutional business it's been around for a while so where they do have questionable practices now having said that it's great marketing great marketing you know that ad actually to your point yeah so speedy they put that ad out i think a day or so after the incident you know so really quickly and um, and they they do that and very bold good stuff so chairman very very interesting wow the word itself is interesting it's got me uh as they say mai soch raha hu abhi socha ke bare mein i'm thinking about it uh extremely interesting sounds like a fun liquor uh it's come from arabia that is amazing it comes from a word called arak which again is amazing because uh it it's it straight away took me down to the sandy beaches of goa i don't know whether you know this but they have something called urak now urak and arak is pretty similar uh goa beaches in the arabian sea and possibly had the arabians get there probably before they uh, even arrived in the, on the japanese shores uh there are producing that they, they have been producing urak for a long period of time and they have been refining it uh it's available in all local bars in goa and we and whenever i go down to goa i do have a little bit of urak uh i have been trying it as a for a long period of time right from the time in my teens i was a, i was an early starter and therefore started drinking uh a lot of liquors earlier on in life and in my teens i started mixing urak with a lot of things urak by the way anyway is really cheap because it is local locally produced with feni uh it is a local brew urak is a little milder it seems to be better produced and we used to uh, drink a lot of it uh, growing up so urak yeah man it brings back a lot of memories it makes me think in fact you know crazily enough and slightly uh off the point but i eventually was so enthralled with liquor and liquor drinking and feni and urak as a as a drink when i started giving uh, marketing lectures in a mba college which was about 15 years ago one of the projects that i gave them was if, in terms of developing the urak stroke feni market and how do we get it to be mainly accepted one in india and can we export the same now in hindsight while i i did it i got a lot of feedback and a lot of presentations and xyz and i was solely disappointed because in my head it was far more that you could have done but then again i was asking the kids to do it and yeah decent attempt at their stage in life i guess and i hope they learned something from it because i surely did uh the little bit that i also know that urak currently in goa is you'll get uh, you'll get people that will tell you various cocktails that you can develop from the urak which to me <laughs> is crazy at least somebody is trying to develop it uh, there are there's an online uh, 
company pretty much that is trying to develop indigenous products of india and then market it globally as well which i think is interesting uh, that that is some direction which i think we should be headed in the real question is man and this is something now i'm sitting in in england talking about drinking uh, researching various drinks actually drinking it tasting it enjoying the process because uh, while this process goes on i'm headed to knowing a lot about drinks across the board i'll have a perspective on it i'll i i should be able to get to brands and i hope you will too you are helping me get there because every time i talk to you i get knowledge about uh, the far far east and i find out what what people are drinking there uh so yes this journey is going to make me a con- not really a connoisseur but a very well informed man on the drinking culture across the globe i hope yes so yeah i mean you you you're talking about nike you're talking about what they've done in the past you're talking about the fact that uh you know not really uh, good practices in terms of where they get their stuff done from you're you're talking about pretty much you're talking about economic con- colonization in a sense and economic colonization started with the brits when you're talking the east india company when you started to talk about it i you know to be honest and this is something that i i think i should talk about a little bit because it seems and or it's seeming like i'm one of the great britain friends the great britain friends and i i i'm very very uh, cognizant of the fact that britain colonized the globe the sun didn't set on their mighty empire for that i give them kudos i clap my hands and i say wow man good on you you did it what you did i definitely don't condone and i am completely in your camp on that i don't condone at all i don't condone the fact that they came to india they chopped the thumb of our weavers they shot us in uh, jallianwala bag on on one of our festivals cold bloodedly they uh, then promoted the person that did it uh, then we had to fight it a long period of time of a fight and in uh, uh, an independence struggle that we went through uh multitudes and they did this across the globe not just in india uh, they did it in south africa everywhere that they went they left a legacy of pain we were a 27% gdp of the world when they first arrived we are talking early mid 1700s when they left we were 2% gdp now that is staggering man you're talking about when they're leaving they've left 90% of people below the poverty line so what they've done in the time is they've actually created an infrastructure to be able to rape the land to rape its people to take away the to to take away all that is produced and push it to the highest bidder which is capitalism at its best and now the biggest export that they've had they've exported capitalism to the us to canada to the western part of europe they talked about it in india and they didn't feed the multitudes the millions that died in the famines because they believed that if you give out charity like what they in quotes called charity would make the population lazy so draconian uh, in in a in a socialistic world draconian cultures draconian cultures the fact that uh, bengal is a communistic kind of state i wouldn't uh, i know why they believe in uh, in actually giving out to save the populations because they've been through it before because again we fought a lot of the wars we are the ones that lost about a million people in the in the world war 2 now to me that's that's completely crazy man so the history is it's uh, it's crazy and definitely on the score of 
humanity, Britain is far from great. It's probably at the complete pole end or opposite end of that great spectrum. So don't read me wrong. You'll have to look for the sarcasm in my voice at times. Uh, and I thought it, uh, since sarcasm is a very, very delicate British thing, I need to obviously spell it out, which I've done right now. So I'm not in the British camp on the greatness of Britain for the sake of its altruistic uh, leanings. It doesn't have any. So anyway, that's my little take in terms of the uh, the sweatshops and the things that Nike has done. It pretty much, you know, the brands of the old and the ones that have come from Europe, currently even now, most of the brands that have made their money, they have actually transferred a lot of their production to uh, Eastern countries. Now, the larger part of this, and this is branding, basically, and coming to branding, the uh, the thought process that I have, and uh, I think it's a little similar to what you've talked about. I, I personally believe that brands, two, two factors to this, and I have to state it. Number one, the real question that I've got, and this is a long-term view, and I don't know long-term, I don't know whether it is 15, 20 years or whether it's 50 years, but I know that at some point in time, given the fact that information is out there, information is rampant, you can make your choices based on well-thought-through, researched uh, points of what you're buying, uh, pretty much a brand is its existence, the amount of efforts that we put into actually creating this intangible emotional connect with, uh, with people, is that even necessary? You know, in terms of how communications should be judged going forward, I think, you know, the first thing that anybody who's observing and making any judgment on brand communications should be looking at is how it aligns with uh, the business that the brand is built around. And, uh, you know, you cannot separate these things any longer. So I think a, a tangible example is, you know, if there's this amazing creative that's put out by Chevron, you know, it might be just amazing, you know, as a piece of creative, just something that has the highest production values or whatever, you know, it just speaks brilliantly in terms of the message that it puts out. But, you know, as far as I know, Chevron is busying itself destroying the planet in terms of its business model. And it might be transitioning out of that, or it might say that it is. But when you look at the facts, the facts are the facts, okay? So, and as I said, we have access now as to what's really going on, thanks to the internet. So, you know, I think awards, creative awards, cannot just be judged based on creativity anymore. Creativity has to come with principles. It has to come with, you know, an alignment to business, to the real world. Creativity can't just be something that happens in a vacuum. So I think that would be very important. And I think, you know, awards like Khan's, this is one of the issues that I have with all awards, really, but definitely with, you know, the big ones like Khan. I don't see them doing that. It's just based on the creative, the execution, the idea, which in the old world of brand building were enough. But I think creating disingenuous brands is no longer something that we should put up with 
the industry, the creative industry shouldn't put up with it. We deserve better. Brands deserve better. Consumers deserve better. I think shareholders deserve better. You know, everybody deserves better today. There's, the stakes are too high. And the creative industry can't just not be accountable anymore like it used to be. Marketing cannot be disingenuous. It cannot just create fantasies. I think that whole paradigm needs to be demolished. If you communicate, it's not just about communicating well. It's about communicating truthfully. And that's as important as your execution and your concept and your idea. You know, you've got to back it up. That's what I think. Black Mirror. I haven't seen the series. I've heard about it. And uh, yeah, so I've I've heard good things about it. And uh, I guess you're enjoying it, right? I should probably check it out on Netflix. Um, I haven't as yet. I did see a case study of the commercial that you mentioned, the outdoor creative. And that is truly brilliant. And especially, as you said, in the context of the last few months as season six is, you know, either being aired now or about to be aired, you know, in the run-up to airing the season. It's brilliant. It's genius, right? Because we are all living (laughs) through this very dark moment. Uh, And, you know, thanks to technology, one can say, it's a broader definition for technology, but it is about human progress technologically and you know the disregard for certain practices so great stuff really great stuff so basically what i'm saying is that most brands are shit okay that's my view it's a bit of a cynical negative view but it is what it is and the reason i say it is because brands and businesses are not aligned anymore, probably never have been. You can't create a great marketing story that doesn't sync with your business and how your business operates. In a world where transparency is key, where consumers demand information and also good practice more and more from brands. So the point being that you put out a great creative as you know, compelling as it is in itself, great piece of content. But if you're going ahead and raping the planet at the same time, then, you know, you're not going to get away with it because the way we make decisions today is very, very complex. And it's not, you know, the good old days where McDonald's can put out their their jingle or Coca-Cola can put out their ad with people smiling, shiny, happy people. And that's all. And we never know how Coca-Cola is actually produced, what impact it has on the environment, on communities, on labor. So now we do know. So it's a different world that we live in, thanks to the internet. And, uh, you know, brands need to respond to that by aligning themselves with their business. CMOs can't just operate in their own fantasy space anymore because as good as the ad is as good as nike's ads are i still will look to see how they operate as a business before i buy nike shoes or one of their competitors who might have better business practices 
Now, having said that, this is important to that segment of customers that are socially aware and conscious, are demanding better businesses, better practice, whether it's carbon neutrality, equality at work, good labor practices, um, responsible supply chain in terms of fair trade, in terms of sourcing materials. These are the things that I look at. And from everything I gather, there's a growing number of consumers who look at these things now before they choose the brands that they you know, want to live with and that they're going to invest in. Because that's what we're doing when we're buying things. We're investing and we're living with these brands. These brands then become a part of our identity. So um, from what I've read, you know, more and more young people now are very concerned and are actually looking at these things before they make purchase decisions. It just isn't about the TVC anymore. Now, if the content does match up, does speak authentically to the business and the promise of the business and the vision of the business and the values of the business and the practice of the business, then amazing. And those are the brands that, you know, I think will thrive in the future. Uh, my question really is, in the digital world and the world being flat, is there a way for us to speed up the adoption in micro segments across the globe? I don't need massive markets. I don't need uh, a multitude of people buying into me. I need a certain segment that's loyal to a certain drink or a certain thing, and I need to make it available. It might take me four days to get it to that microcosm of a segment, but the fact of the money, there's money in it. There is a premium that they're willing to pay. And there is a platform, my dear friend, which is um, Amazon. And they're really educating the globe in terms of how to do business online. Uh, it's something that is very interesting to me. I have not had the time. And again, this irks me a, a shitload because I've got the time to spend on uh, my job in Bombay. I've got the time to spend on multiple people who have problems and try and solve their problems for personal gain, obviously. But... I spend a lot of time in other people's problems. I can spend a little bit of time in terms of figuring out now, one minute, we're talking about drinks, we're talking about individual segments, we're talking about people that actually know what they're talking and looking for. We're talking about a world where everything is possible, businesses you can set up tomorrow. Why not, Zed? Can we think about it a little in depth? Can we actually crack this problem and let's make the drinks available to the people that actually know what they're looking for? And I'm sure there's a huge market and the complexity of the market is what we need to crack. And the Amazon type platforms might be the starting block. Do you think? Yes, sir.